not only excited that we're talking about a state-of-the-art training center for the Washington Wizards and a forever home to the Washington Mystics, working with Events DC, we will also have a, not only a sports arena, but an entertainment complex that can be bring sports and arts and cultural events right here to St. Elizabeth's. We're excited about it for another reason. We needed a game changer here at St. Elizabeth's. We've heard a lot that was going to happen here at St. Elizabeth's. We just haven't seen it happen. Uh what is up, Doe? Welcome to another edition of the Pixel and Roll Show. We discuss the best basketball team on the face of the planet. You're Washington Wizards. This is Adam McGinnis. It is Wednesday, September 23rd, 2015. Coming from you from the Mount Pleasant neighborhood in the nation's capital. Today is going to be a special episode where I basically just ramble for 15 minutes about my weekend, going to the Renaissance Festival, what kind of food I got for the first time uh, there out in Maryland. You know, Donald Trump, Scott Walker dropping out, you know, that, the pharma douchebag bro. The Pope being in the city. Just trying to see, you know, screw with the NBA. I'm just going to ramble on and see how long you guys can endure. Because, you know, it's my show and I don't really give a shit. You know, if it's free and if you don't want to listen, you can, you know, shut off right now. <laughs> just kidding. You, you should not shut off. As my opening alluded to, big news in uh, Wizard World. The Monumental, the ownership group that owns the Wizards, the Capitals, the Mystics, and the Verizon Center inked a deal with the Washington, uh, D.C. city government to build uh, a training facility, a practice facility for the Wizards, uh, and also a 5,000-seat arena that the Mystics will play their games in. They had an event last week that I actually attended uh, in southeast D.C. in a Ward 8 at, near the Crenshaw Heights Metro at the site of where they're going to have the facility at the St. Elizabeth uh, Hospital Complex. So what we're going to do today is, is I'm just basically going to discuss my experience, what I saw when I was there, kind of the merits of the deal, my thoughts on the deal. Kyle, Kyle Weedad, Mr. Truth About It, uh, he wrote a really good post uh, about about the deal and with some really good context. So we're, I'm going to go over some of that. And I was I also got a chance to... Uh, catch up with Ted Leonsens after after the event and I'm going to play that interview uh, after after this awesome intro of mine so so hold tight uh, hear me hear me ramble so basically I get it, the event was last Wednesday about a week ago uh, 11:30 get off the metro uh, Congress Heights Metro came from two stops from the Navy Yard and the the, the the difference is very striking to go from you know if you've been around the Nats Park these days you know, aside from the flaming, the smoke piling from the managerial awful decisions of Matt Williams and the, the bullpen blowing up a, a potential great season uh, run, there's just cranes all over the place. And most most places now in D.C. outside the metro, there's development, all sorts of things. I got off this con <laughs> the Congress Heights Metro. There's hardly anyone around. I didn't know where the event was. I thought it was going to be right outside the metro. It was actually on the other side of the hospital complex. So 
the old hospital. So I'm walking down the street, I find where it's at, go down to the right, look over and you see this brick building. It looks like it could be in any type of horror movie. <laughs> they could film a horror movie right now uh, for Halloween, even a haunted house for Halloween. And to the left, there's construction. And finally you walk up and I'm thinking there's going to be, I don't know, maybe a few wizards, people, some city folk, a bunch of media, you know, 50, 100 people. Nah, show up and there's DJs, G-Wiz, you have George Mirasan, Bobby Dandridge, even Ernie Grenfell's in the house. You have all these city people, all dressed to the nine in, in, in business suits. <laughs> even the mascot for the Wizards, uh, uh, Pax the Panda, was there. They had a bunch of youth, local youth in the neighborhood, blue high school football players. And they had said that there was going to be... Uh, so when I got there, they said that there's going to be some Wizards players and Mystics players, and I didn't know who that was going to be. You know, were they going to have Chris Humphrey show up, or or even send Kelly Oubre or Ron Sessions? Somebody, lo and behold, here comes in Bradley Beal and John Wall with uh, three other Mystics players: Stephanie Dawson, Natasha Cloud, and uh, Emmer Messerman. Uh, before I go, you know, shout out to the Mystics. They they lost last night in Game Three. Uh, we're eliminated in the playoffs, uh, deciding game in Mascore Garden. Came down to the end. It was a hell of a game. And in some so Wizards fashion, the Liberty ended the game on a 10-2 run. Mystics really couldn't get any stops and didn't get some good looks. And so that's kind of disappointing, and, and especially with D.C. sports. So, but hell of a season for any Mystics people that are listening. Uh, you know, really, you guys should be proud of what what you guys accomplished this year, and hopefully, once again, <laughs> you can go at it next year. Is <laughs> that what we always say with DC Sports? <laughs> go get them next year. But we're sitting on top of this uh, parking ramp. It's called the Gateway D DC Pavilion. It's kind of a parking structure down below. They have picnic tables. I think they have events, and they decided to have it on top, and it ended up being really, really hot. So, you know, you're dressed up, and so I'm sitting there waiting for the event to start. Beal and Wall come in, and they're getting ready to go. It's going to be your typical ribbon-cubbing tapas ceremony. You had the mayor, you know, Ted Leonson was there, the deputy mayor, Brian Kenner, Events DC, who is very instrumental in this project, uh, the Ruby May, who is a councilwoman in Ward 8, uh, and also Sheila Johnson, who's on Monumental's board, who also uh, is, a, I think, COO of the Mystics. She's the president of the Mystics. So they're all there, and they're taking turns speaking. And, <laughs> of course, the whole time I'm just taking pictures of John Wall and Bradley Beal. And Beal looks like he is an eighth grader or an eight-year-old in mass in church Sunday school, doesn't want to be there. Wall is, you know, he's he's looking a little bit better. He's cracking jokes with Mystics players. And Beal is just looking down, looking miserable and hot. And the whole time I'm trying to figure out how the heck they convinced both these two dudes to come. <laughs> I made some jokes later with Chris Miller about, well, I know Wall kind of likes these things and you know he kind of does this for his brand and you know he's got a new shoe out. But Beal, why is Beal here? Because he looked miserable and, and I, I made a comment to him that you know he hasn't got that money yet. He hasn't got that paper. He got that contract extension because well, once he gets that, <laughs> I think he'll be sending Kelly Oubre or uh, uh, you know Aaron White, whatever Aaron White comes on the team or some rookie to an event like this and not himself but but yeah it was it was it was neat to see them actually you know all kidding aside to see them come out and support uh, because i think that we really instrumental in their develop development as a team to have their own facility 24 hours and and, and really good uh, about the mystics so they give speeches and you know yeah 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 and 
you go downstairs and they finally had a press conference and Beal and Wall were uh, signing autographs for kids and I didn't get a chance to, I guess they ended up jamming out pretty quickly I didn't get a chance to talk to them uh, I, almost, I saw Grunfeld and I almost kind of corralled him but I, I wanted to ask the mayor a question and I wanted to ask uh, the youngsons a question and so they go around and ask particulars of the deal and I'm sitting down Indian style <laughs> And finally I got a question to the mayor and then she looks down at me and I'm recording and she's like, who are you? Who are you with? Who are you with? And I was like, uh, ESPN. And then she finally nodded like, oh, I know who ESPN is. And I asked my question and she actually had the deputy mayor uh, answer it for her. But that was kind of funny. But, you know, my first question to the mayor is me sweating, dripping, dripping in sweat, sitting in Indian style, trying to re- uh, record in one hand with a camera asking the, the mayor of D.C. A, a question about about funding for some deal. Uh, when I look back on it, that's just a weird weird thing to, to cover a basketball team that that's, that's ends up happening. But let's talk about the particulars of the deal. Or let's just talk about the, the arena itself. It's going to be a 5,000-seat arena, like I mentioned, 118,000 square feet. Uh, they say it's going to produce 600 jobs for construction and 300 permanent jobs at the facility. It's going to be state-of-the-art. The thing that the Onsense actually mentions a lot is that the, the Mystics are going to have their own their own locker rooms, their their own stuff, whereas now in the Verizon Center currently, whenever there's a a concert, they have to move out of their locker room, which you know kind of sucks. And even in the Verizon Center, it's a couple couple basketball courts it's nothing nothing special i mean i think even some big time high school players probably have better facilities so this is going to be a a very very good decision um for the team for for both clubs and and also for the community and i I think that it's going to help him long term now kyle so the construction is going to start before we get into what kyle has to say the construction is going to start in 2016 and it is going to end in 2018 to be ready. Now, Kyle wrote about this and truth about it, and I will definitely link it in the, the show notes. And we'll kind of go through, you know, the the particulars of the deal. It's basically about 56 million, uh, m- most of it paid by the city and, and some on the team. But he kind of goes into particulars, gives you context of, of this deal that kind of makes you feel, you know, myself as a taxpayer, you're always skeptical and apprehensive of any type of public funds going to a billion you know, billionaires or you know especially after the Nats got 800 million dollars for their stadium DC United just got a 150 million dollar stadium you've seen deals around see you know the Sonics basically left Seattle because of that because they wouldn't approve public funding you're seeing what's happening in California right now with the Raiders and the Chargers and it's all around the the mood is done for public's financing support. I wouldn't say done, but the, the public opinion is definitely against them. But it ends up, what ends up happening, though, is that the Bucks just got financing through Scott Walker, who I mentioned earlier, who was a fiscally conservative Republican, and he ponied up money. And you've even seen, you know, liberal politicians. So it's not really about, no politician wants, basically, a sports team to leave their city, you know, either on the left or the right, because... You know that's on them. So you, you end up. The NFL has figured this out. NBA has figured this out. Major League Baseball has figured this out, and they kind of end up holding them hostage to the taxpayers. So anytime there's any type of money, I get some. Uh, I get those complaints. But this deal is definitely different than that. Even though there is, there obviously is public money involved. But 
there isn't a huge financial commitment that you've seen and some of them where the money is coming from is a little bit more complicated than just straight up you know oh hey here's 80 80 million bucks or 60 million bucks from the city the funding sources are a little bit more complex and and kyle gets into that so let's go into kyle's piece right now washington post reports that the wizard practice facility will cost an estimated 56.3 million events dc an organization dubbed as the official convention and sports theater for the district of columbia is funded by tax dollars technically will contribute 27 million of the project and manage both construction and the property however events dc is legally separated from the dc government and is run more like a private company and less like a government agency the tax dollars that fund events dc are comprised of 4.4 percent 4.5 percent sales tax on hotel room charges and a 1% sales tax on restaurant meals, alcohol consumed on the premises and rental vehicle charges. The organizational's purpose is to facilitate tourism and encourage the type of spending with which, with which it is funded. Washington DC set an all time record in 2014 with 20.2 million visitors who spent 6.8 billion, which is a 1.9 increase from 2013. This is where half of the funding for the St. Elizabeth Sorf facility is coming from. The narrative about D.C. taxpayers footing 90% of the bill is misleading. So what he's mentioning is that the Washington City paper came out and said 90, 90%, 90% is coming from the city and the f- taxpayers are getting all this. Well, what you've seen is that half of it's coming from basically outside money, tourism money coming to the city. So they're slicing off this pie of money that they basically use for development is going to go to this project. Now, here is here is some of the... So what I mentioned about some of the pushback when you you hear some of these deals right away. Fellow blogger, back to Kyle's piece. Fellow blogger, DC resident, and curator of Pro Hoops history, and a damn good pickup basketball player, Curtis Harris. He's a pretty cool dude. Curtis Harris, he can be found on uh, Twitter at Curtis M. Harris, which is Curtis with the C. Curtis M. Harris. Weighed in on Twitter when the news initially broke. My neighborhood school could use some investment since it's filled with asbestos. But the, but the whiz need my tax dollars more, apparently. Local poll, and also a pretty good damn basketball picker, pickup basketball player himself, Brian Weaver. Brian Weaver is also a cool dude. You can also find him on the Twitter machine at Brian Weaver, B-R-Y-A-N, Weaver, D-C, uh, all one on the Twitter machine. He added to Twitter, the Timberwolves, the Lakers, the Nets, the Bulls, Warriors, Portland Trailblazers all have new privately financed practice facilities. Just saying. So, so you see some of the pushback a little bit. There hasn't been a huge uproar. Uh, I, I have not seen online. I, I know Clinton Yates of the Washington Post did write a piece about that. Uh, he kind of asked some questions about kind of the local sentiment, and it seemed he asked some questions about the local leaders. And you know, I mentioned La Ruby May, who's a councilwoman in Ward Eight. She was talking a lot of. She was at the event, and this is the same district of Marion Barry uh, put out ended his swan song career uh, in Ward Eight, councilman, and and she was pumped up. She was talking some ish to Mayor Bowser. She's really excited to you know help her constituents and get some jobs, get some development down there, and get some money. Uh, and, and also, RIP, Mayor for Life. Back to Kyle's piece. The D.C. government indeed will directly provide funds that some beliefs have solely come from privatized sources. In 2012, the D.C. Council under Mayor Vincent Gray approved around $113 million to make capital improvements to St. Elizabeth. More than $80 million of those appointed funds remain available. This is where $23 million of taxpayer dollars committed to Mayor Bowser are coming from. Dollars already partially dedicated to spawning commercial development. 
If not a relationship with a local basketball team, then what? So what he's mentioning is that so you have half of it coming from events DC and the other half coming from money that was already all allocated from $100 million, which they haven't spent 80 of it for this project. So here you have essentially 90, almost all of it is being paid by tourism money and money that the, the city has already spent and just hasn't found the right investment for this area. So to me, that seems like a pretty damn good deal. And, and, I'll, and I'll mention here in a little bit my other reason why I think this is a solid deal for the taxpayers and for the basketball team. Back to Cal's please. Perhaps claims from the official press release to attract more than 380,000 new residents and visitors per year to Congress Heights and produce more than 600 construction jobs and 300 permanent jobs for both the area and phase one infrastructure of St. Louis of the East with priority given to Ward 8 residents are merely painted with PR-friendly brushes. But promises to bring 90 non-basketball-related events per year on top of the Wizards and Mystics events that will span the calendar to a neglected area near a metro stop seems like a good way to command attention and cultivate interest from private investors who have long, sh who have long sh shunned the area. Improving schools or other public services in the district isn't accomplished solely by allocating tax dollars differently or by clamoring that tax dollars already dedicated to city events and commercial development will continue to be spent on such. Certainly, there are underlying concerns about ensuring that such improvements are set up to serve the community and not push out most push out most of those who are currently living there. This is always concerned with development in any major city faced with urban blight, especially so in D.C., which has seen several neighborhood, neighborhoods, including Navy Yard in southeast D.C., after the construction of the Nat Stadium, and Chinatown Mount Vernon area near the Verizon Center, gentrify at accelerated pace. Ted Leonsons, the Wizards, will contribute $10 million to aid surrounding communities, as well as $5 million up front towards the construction. Instead of paying what would equate to $22,000 month per month in rent over a 19-year lease. Okay, fine. He gets off with paying about the same amount of pay John Wall to play basketball next season. So basically, the team is going to come up with $5 million up front. They're going to commit $10 million over a 19-year lease to, to invest in the community somehow. And that's actually my question to the mayor. And then they're going to pay, uh, I think the lease is $400,000 per year to events DC who's going to run it and then there's going to be a 10% sales tax so the reason I think that this deal is good aside from the funding where I, I mentioned how this isn't just straight up from the ki the kitty's purse of the city is that is that they're going to be a D-League team as well and we have seen the Wizards have struggled they don't own their D-League team, team and they have struggled in, in recent years about having a D-League team sending guys down to teams that share multiple NBA teams. And so they have continually been on teams where another NBA team has bought them, and so then they'd have to find another one. And to have, in the same city, to have a potential second-round pick or a first-round pick that needs to go down and have them right there, I mean, there's a huge benefit for that, to be around the, the team and these guys. And that is going to – and then even as fans, you want to go down and see the first-round pick. You know, go, go see Kelly Oubre, Clint, Glenn Rice, or maybe even Aaron White. You know, in recent years, go see them play and go down to the green line. I mean, I think that that is definitely a positive. And, and the and to me, the the deal breaker to me is the fact that this is this is a zero sum game. I mean, this facility was going to get built, and it could have gone to Maryland, it could have gone to Virginia. I mean, Leonson has had a successful uh, with a Caps facility in Kettler out on the Orange Line in Virginia. 
he uh, the other two finalists for this project aside from the St. Louis site was Howard University in DC but also Silver Spring in Maryland and I, I think that the Onsen saw Silver Spring as kind of a, a transit hub or and plus with his intentions of going more into the Maryland market we've seen him play games in Baltimore the last two years that he saw that as a potential boon now someone in DC who watches doesn't go to Redskins games because we're at Maryland they practice way out in Virginia, but yet they're the you know the Washington Redskins. I didn't want the Wizards' practice facility to go way out there. You know, personally, selfishly, I wanted to be at the Howard facility because I live nearby in the Shaw neighborhood on the Green Line. But I think that this is good for the community. There is blight down there. This will, I, th- I mean, the 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 Leonsons and Bowser basically both mentioned that their their work on trying to. Uh, trying to acquire the Olympics, attract the Olympics here a bit, which was unsuccessful, kind of to foster a relationship that I think was beneficial here. And both of them, for their legacies, want to see this project succeed. And that is a major plus, that you have political power behind it. You also have investment. And the only sense with, with the type of relationships he has on all the other things that he's got going on in his life, you know, his venture capitalist fund and, all his connections, I think before or not you will see more more development in this area. And it's a win-win. So, like I said, this is a good project, good project for the team. And as fans of this team, you're going to want to see this. because. And the, the last point, which I have to mention, which I have to mention is it's not very far from where Kevin Durant uh, grew up here in Seat Pleasant, by the way, for all those... Uh, K- KD to DC fans, you know, I know Jake Whitaker of uh, Bulls Forever. I know you're not listening, but this one's for you. But, but I definitely think that, that this project is going to be one of the be- better things that you'll see that could maybe potentially attract free agents, keep free agents here, and, and foster something that the Ward 8 and a blighted area of the city can, can be beneficial down the, down the long run. Now, next up, we have Mr. Ted Leonsons talking all sorts of topics and i'll get back to you on the back end thanks for listening peace This first game with the Capitals, once we built Kepler Capitals Iceplex, 
and we changed our AHL affiliate in Hershey. But the bringing together of our AHL practice facility and Verizon Center and looking at them all as a platform really elevated the team, the way we played, our ability to track free agents, kind of the buzz we had around the league. And the players were happy. They were healthy. And so we're hoping to replicate that with the Wizards. Do you know what will happen to the practice court area that's in the Verizon Center now and those other areas you were utilizing there when this happened? Uh, we'll probably turn it into a bloggers room. <laughs> um, we'll probably still keep it there, but it won't be, it'll be used like someone before the game wants to shoot or whatever. We're not going to turn it into a discotheque or something. this deal for virtual reality, we were the first NBA, WNBA team to do it, where you've got to build into your practice facility a room, and once you get to see, you'll understand, you need space for the players to don the helmets and then act like they're in a game. And, and so, you know, as time goes on, this will be a two and a half, three year kind of development and build out. We'll be adding and using that space. We want to build some digital studio capability within it. Um, and, and so, you know, we're, we're already actively working with the front office and the business staff on what all of the flexibility where, where are you at on the planning stage of the facility, and what other facilities? I know the Nets have opened a new one. Other teams have opened their own facilities. Have you looked at those, what they did, and where do you yeah, where do you see going with this project? One of the reasons that I love this space is that there's really nothing here. It's a flat, undeveloped space near Metro, and so we've looked at some designs, and we can like Kepler is a very unique design, a green building. Any of you been to Kepler? Yes. I mean, it's a, and it still looks relevant today, even though it's eight years old, seven years old. And so we're going to do something here that fits with the community, is iconic, but also is environmentally sound, if you will. And we want it to be a uh, building that other teams come by and want to look at and say, we want to replicate that in our city. Yeah, uh, we, we will now start serious discussions about can we get an expansion team, we really, really need to put it, and I think it would work great here. I think a uh, 5,000 seat arena that can be, tickets can be priced directly into the marketplace, close enough to Verizon, but would still be programmed and marketed separately. Yeah, I think the demon team would fit very well here. Do you think this type of thing could eventually become a selling point to free agents and also something that's attractive to the players who want to stay there? Um, well, that's what's happening with the Caps. Um, they, they spend so much time 
practicing, with the coaches, with the medical staff. And so if you create an environment that they feel trusted and loved in, it, it sticks, makes them want to come. And then the players talk, they talk around the league. So, so yeah, it's very important to us strategically to be able to build something that's world class and we're very proud of it. What's the decision of the Mystics coach down to a 5,000 seat arena? Because that's kind of one of the first things that comes up. Yeah, and, and I, just to give you a math lesson. Um, so, our numbers are skewed for the WNBA because we have these camp days. And those camp days, sponsors write us a check and then we give tickets away. So, you'll have a couple of games of 15, 20,000 people. Then you'll have a game that's 4,000 people. So you take a 20,000 and a 4,000, you go, oh, they're averaging 12,000 people. <laughs> That's really not the case. And two, many times in those numbers are the sweet tickets. Right? Every sweet tour in sweet says like 20 tickets. And so those are reported in our numbers. And I believe 5,000 seats just for the mystics is perfect size. And not only be a perfect size, it'll be an atmosphere that's loud, that's, um, that's exciting, that's collegiate in a way, and it'll help the players. You play sometimes at Verizon and there's 20,000 seats and there's 4,000 people in the building, it feels like you're not successful. Right? Now they'll always feel successful. And once they sell out, that kind of gets the spiral going up. And so we talked a great with Sheila, with Evo, with the league, with the players. And they were psychics. They also believed that we were paying the women's basketball team their due. They weren't going to share a locker room. Like the Mystics locker room today is shared. When a touring artist comes, that's where they go. This would be their locker room. We can have different kind of training uh, materials that would be more apt for women basketball players. And so for them to have their own arena, their own locker rooms, their own training facilities, it makes them feel special. They're not sharing. And so, so after they we explained all of that to them, was, there'll be a best-in-class WNBA facility. Nobody else has their own arena and their own training. That was the buzz that we want to bring in free agents or players want to stay. And so I, I think it's equal that the Wizards will have something great on their own and the Mystics will have something great on their own. You know, the Wizards Pride facility, they really share that with the Mystics and will they be separate? So they're, they're going to have their own facility, but there'll be a doorway that can go into that 5,000 city. So we might have on occasion open practices or charity games. You know, we'll be able to use that, but, but the Wizards will have their own practice facility and, and You've committed $10 million to, to this project for the community. A lot more money. Or, I mean, or the money, but for community investment, I'm saying, yeah. specifically. What do you see that? I know that okay, I know community investments have been a big thing for you. I do think you need to understand again. So, we pay 10% tax on revenues that we so, so we, we heard today that DC Events 
has a surplus budget on the taxes that they collect for people mostly from out of town that stay in hotels and restaurants. So they collect those taxes, and now they're using those taxes to help build, and they own, this is in my arena, the city will own the arena. Right? So now they'll build it, and now how are they going to generate revenue? Well, the first thing they're going to do is charge us rent. They said $400,000 a year. Second thing they've asked us to do is donate charities, events in the area, $10 million. Then work like heck to sell our Mystics games. Buy a D-League team. Buy other things that come in here. So you sell tickets and you generate revenues for us and taxes for the city. And then there'll be parking. That'll generate revenues for the city. And there'll be restaurants that start to open up. And they'll pay taxes and that'll generate revenues for the city. And then they'll create jobs. They said 300 jobs once this opens. Most people will be paid, and they'll pay taxes to the city. And so, so, and then we have to buy a demon. It's not going to give you a team. We have to write a check to. So the amount of money that's going to be poured into this community to build the building, bring in the teams, do the marketing, do the development on the side will be significant. And we think, I, I, I'm hoping it is a decade long. Right? I, mean, I drove by Nats Park here and they moved into that building just six years ago and it's still not fully developed. It's going to take 10 years from Nats Park and all that community and restaurants and everything to be fully developed. That's what it took at Verizon Center. The first three years at Verizon Center, I was a season ticket holder, you come, you go, oh my gosh, is this going to work? Right? You come to the arena and you go. There's no place to eat, there's nothing. Now, it's the cultural entertainment hub of the city. And that's part, you know, you went to your first game on opening night. And every year it keeps developing, jobs are created, taxes are being paid. And, and what I'm very committed to now is trying to envision this part of the city becoming part of the main street. Do you think you run a D-League team owned by the time you open this facility up? Is yeah. that kind of the goal? Oh, that would be a goal. Can we get a quick picture? Can we yeah. a picture? I, I think he's willing to talk to you all day. Yeah. <laughs> I got to get back no, to No, no, you don't say that. <laughs> It's called Striver, Stanford University, and it's a. Um, they were here. They're here today. They were here yesterday. And it's really interesting the way the system works. It's um, it's a it's called a platform. It's a it's a series of cameras. It's like a tripod. It's like a dozen cameras. It shoot a 360 degree view and then you shoot it and then you send it digitally to Stanford University and they do their magic on it and then they ship it back and then it goes into this hard drive that then loads into these like Oculus 
headsets, and it is a really remarkable thing, right? In that, um, so you're a point guard, and you're dribbling the ball in practice, and there's 15 seconds left on the clock. It's all being filmed, and now you have a set of plays. You can throw it in the Barkat, he's going to get it, look around, throw it back to you. You can drive, you can stop and pop, you can find the guy at the three. But you got to watch the clock. And there's defenders all around. You're dribbling, watching the clock. You look around, you see the fans in the stands. Um, you see uh, the cameraman on. And, and this is all happening. So you, you put this on, and you're in a room, and you're dribbling, and you're in the play. You, it's, it's not like you're reading a playbook, you're looking at a photo, you're looking at a flat video. You're in the play, you're seeing guys come at you, you're being, you feel like you're being jostled. And, and you can't explain it until you put it on. I'll get all of you guys to experience it. And so we think, I'm sure virtual reality is going to be the biggest change in training in business. When you read something, you retain 20, 25%. You read and hear something, 30, 35%. You read and hear and see, it's over 50%. When you interact, when you see and hear and read, it's like 70%. We think virtual reality is going to get you into the 90% retention. So imagine you're a rookie player, and you know you're, you've played one year of college ball, and now you come into a team and they give you a playbook, right? I mean, it's mind blowing. And so, so you're going to run through the plays in practice, but now you put this on, and, and you're seeing it. You're, you're understanding what does it mean? We want more spacing. You know, where is the corner three best? And and I see it. Oh. You know, it's easy when I throw the pass this way when no one's on me, but I'm seeing now a guy who's 6'9 with his hands up, and it feels like it's in your face. Um, the demos were remarkable, teaching someone how to draw a charge. You, know, you put it on, and you got to stop, and you see the guy coming to take the layup, and, and, and you'll see when you put it on. You know, you go back, you're there. The football one that they showed, the quarterback goes up, he takes the step back, there's a bird flying, there's you know the water boy walking on the side. You're there. But um, Tony Romo was, and the Dallas Cowboys were the first team to do it. I was watching the game on Monday, Sunday night, and the announcer said, gosh, Tony Romo is seeing the field better than I've ever seen him play. Like, yeah, he, he put that on and said to Jerry Jones, you gotta get this. I, I get it. And now I can see like all the different permutations of lineups and, and where that linebacker's going and where I check off. Um, so I, I'm very, very excited about it. And you know, we're gonna use some WNBA and the NBA and the NHL.
yourself. And so they were here yesterday and today. All right, sorry. Got to run, guys. Good to see you. What is up, though? Welcome to the back end this Pixel Roll episode podcast show. Thanks for staying with us so far. You just listened to Ted Leonsons discuss and defend the particulars of the deal struck with the city for the new facility for the training facility for the Wizards and arena for the Mystics. I got a little testy towards me on a couple of my questions. But I just kind of wanted to know the Mystics are going to a 5,000 seat arena, which is different than WNBA has really done before and also the $10 million where that was actually going to go. Particular, he he made some really valid points. I, I definitely agreed with his stance and where he came from. I think it's a very, very exciting time to be a Washington Wizards fan. As excited as I've been to go into a season, I don't, it seems like forever. You got two young studs in Wallen Beal, a young promising player in Otto Porter who had a breakout playoffs. Young, talented rookie in Kelly Oubre. A great cap situation for next summer as the Kevin D, KD decision looms. And even if they don't get Durant, they're still set up with some building blocks and some flexibility to, to, to go out of piece, maybe an Al Horford, to go after another one. And the fact that now they have a facility in place in two, three years for the prime of Wall and Beal's careers in the city is very exciting. It's going to be great for the community, get some investment in, into that area, and just overall, I think a decent deal for the city. And so it's very, very, very different times. A lot of positive pixels going on in Washington Wizards. No pick one guns, no Javel going the other way, no Andre Blatt, champion captain, out of shape, 19 wins, injuries, knee injuries, <laughs> all of it. I don't want to bring up all the pain again. But here, it's a few short years. It's, it's a totally different outset. So thank you so much for, for listening to this episode. I was I had a chance to interview uh, Jorge Casilla, the Washington Post beat writer, for about an hour. So I'm going to put that episode and that show should be coming up shortly. Had a great conversation about what it was like for him to cover the team for a year and his thoughts about the upcoming season and some of the moves that the Wizards have made. Very insightful. He dropped some really good knowledge. So hopefully you'll, you'll enjoy that one. Media Day is Monday. But we're going to have some coverage on truthaboutit.net. Me and Kyle will be there. I think Rashad is going to be there as well. Rashad Mobley. I'm going to try to do some podcasts, maybe do some audio of some of the interviews, try to put those together, see what we can whip up for you, for you. I appreciate your support. Go on iTunes, subscribe, tell me how bad I suck in the comments. <laughs> and I really, really am looking forward to the season. Training camp starts on Tuesday. Uh, they have about a week of camp before the first preseason game. So, yeah, basketball is here. It's ready to go. Keep keep supporting this, this great team, and we appreciate everything. Uh, all the all the listeners and all the viewers and all those crazy uh, Wiz fans, especially the crew on Wizard Twitter. <laughs> Peace out, you guys. Have a good day. I'm about to go to a uh, music festival. <laughs> bye bye. Some bees on it, bees. I got mood to make.